Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for joining us. Welcome to the MMA Sucker Podcast, and a huge weekend of fights just happened at UFC 274 this weekend. We had some some huge highlights and some real stinkers coming off this one. I am joined, my name's Tim Wheaton, and I am joined by Fraser Crone. Fraser, how are you doing today, sir? Yeah, like you said, um, really busy weekend, especially at UFC 274. You know, we had Canelo and Bivol. We had PFL early on in the week, Bellator early on in the week. This weekend, we've got Bellator again, UFC fight night again. We've got Floyd Mayweather's crazy weird <laughs> card where he's fighting somebody. Anderson Silva's on that. We've got, you know, Castanio Charlo too. So do forgive us if we don't manage to get around to everything, but we want to hit the main points. Just, let's be honest, UFC 274 has got plenty of talking points. So don't be surprised to get best part of an hour on just UFC 274. The lightweight division, like UFC 274, the main event has so many talking points that I'm not sure if we're going to get very far outside of the lightweight division in reality here. Like we're talking Friday, 0.5 over. An hour later, Charles Oliveira weighs in again at 0.5 over. There's a scales controversy. There's a conspiracy going on, even though no one else had weight. What do you make of the weigh-ins of Charles Oliveira? We're not even to the event yet. What do you make of the weigh-ins? Yeah, it's you know we know that he's got a history of missing weight, but that was down at one forty five, and 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 lately he he's been hitting one fifty five, bang on for his past you know his past few fights, so it hasn't been an issue. But mm-hmm. yeah, it seems that everyone that was you know making slight complaints or slight comments about the weight um, about the scale, sorry, was Brazilian. You know, you had uh, obviously Charles Oliveira's got his controversy over the weight. You've got. Yeah. Norma Demont, who again a Brazilian, she missed weight by I think it was, that was only again 0.5 or 1.5. It's obviously yeah. non-title fight; she gets the the, the pound either way. Mm-hmm. And Carnasoli, uh, Ariane Carnasoli was was she made weight, but she was complaining that the the, the, the scales were slightly off. Yeah. Um, with that being said, you know. Tristan Gaethje, Rose Namajunas, Carla Esparza, Tony Ferguson—you know everybody else made weight, and you know Gaethje, uh, Esparza, and Namajunas all obviously had to hit that championship weight, and they all managed it. So you know, friends of mine, we were, we were having a little bit of a chat on, over WhatsApp, and I said, "Look, yes, he's missed weight, but does it really make a difference? If he wins it, he's going to go into a, another title fight, and if he loses it, he loses it anyway. You know, if he loses the fight, Gaethje." Whether he makes weight or not, Gaethje was always going to be the um, the lightweight champion. If he wins the fight, yes, he loses out on on championship. Sort of, you know, he he doesn't exactly enter the the, the fight as the A side. But let's be honest, we know that he's the A side in the fight now. Whoever he's going to face next, we know is the A side after after the performance that he put on. Well, we were, I think we were both really confident in picking Charles. After the weigh-in stuff, I thought he is drained. He got his title stripped from him officially. So I thought maybe he's a little bit disheartened coming into this fight. Maybe physically he's not there. Nope. One of the greatest title fights in UFC history happened on Saturday night. Uh, I guess not officially a title fight because he didn't walk away with a title. It doesn't matter so much of like, officially on paper, he's not the champion. But he's the number one, number one lightweight in the world. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know... Uh, we'll go on to talk about his performance and, and, and what it means it means after the uh, after the fact. But mm-hmm. we know he can make one fifty five. This isn't a, a Calvin Gaslam down at one seventy who who barely ever made the weight. It's not a Johnny Hendricks who missed weight three or four times in a row. This is by point five pounds, and you know I still don't know why they use that historic scale of having to adjust it for every. Because you're putting a lot of trust in, in in the commission, which you know the commission don't gain anything out of potentially, you know, having a fight and miss weight or anything. However, use use electronic scales. It's it's 2022. You know, use electronic scales or use, you know, scales. I don't even know what you'd, you'd call them. Just scales where you you stand on it and and the and the reader goes, yeah. You know, it just measures how much you you, you weigh. And I was listening to something. Yeah. Um, I think it was. I can't remember what it was I was listening to. I've listened to so much after the fact and before the fact. But they were saying, well, you know, the Europeans are used to um, used to kilograms and, and obviously, you know, they have to weigh in in, in pounds. So that doesn't make a difference, you know. At the end of the day, you know that you have to weigh 155 pounds. Just make sure you make that weight. And, and obviously Charles Oliver didn't. He lost it on the scale. But I don't think, you know, I think after the performance that you put on, 
it's that's ever so slightly been forgotten. You know, he he, he did make a, a very valid point of, you know, the UFC lightweight champion has a name, and that name is Charles Oliveira, and and you know, I'm still seeing him as a champion. Whoever he goes on to face next, he is the the A side. He is the the favorite. He is the the champion going into it. Is his is let's be honest, it's his title to lose going into the next fight, despite the fact that he officially won't go in as as champion. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. He is the champion. I mean, not, not officially. And this is why there's so many UFC titles where the lineage is absolutely ridiculous. Like I maybe I want to write something about the UFC title lineages and just show like, it's ridiculous. John Jones has like five of them because BJ Penn, remember BJ Penn left and fought Leota Machida. So all of those titles <laughs> somehow led to John Jones. So there's some weird stuff. And this is one of those things of like, man, the title lineage just is ridiculous. However, he, I see him as he is clearly the number one lightweight in the world. I don't think it has anything to do with kilograms because all international fights, like whether you're looking at KSW or one, they just put like 71.8 kilograms. Everyone knows to make like exactly what it is to the yeah, point, sure. whatever kilograms, like that's not an issue. I also was at the weigh-ins for Bellator when it was in London with MPP and a, a reporter asked the commission there in London, why do you guys still use like the, those kinds of scales? And the commission said, we don't. We use digital scales here. So that's not the reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's exactly. not it. It's just tradition. I swear the U.S. is just like, man, we've done it this way for 70 years. We did it this way for Muhammad Ali. We're not going to change it. That's, I swear that's the reason. You can almost, you know, like, like you say, you can almost understand the tradition and, and the, the historic as a, as a guy just tapping away, tapping away. Yeah. And, and the, even, the, you know, the, the, it's a historic sound. You can hear the, the, the clunk of the metal when the guys and girls stand on it. But yeah. come on, you know, you've got you've got people giving, being awarded post-fight bonuses who are getting paid in Bitcoin. This know, is the kind yeah. of era that we're in now. And... You know, this is the era that we're in. We don't need to use the historic scale. We don't need to have, you know, all these. The, the game is evolving so much, so that we can put on better fights. And you know, we're 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 bringing fighting into 2022, and yet we're still using a a, a scale that was used in the, in the 60s and the 70s. It's, it makes you it makes you question why, because you know, let's be honest. If if they're so confident of making weight, make them weigh in twice, make them weigh in on the historic scale for the for the ceremonial weigh-ins, but the official weigh-ins, let them do, let them go on, uh, let them go on a, uh, a, a an electronic scale, and you know that eliminates any controversy because you can have all the fighters, you know, let's say the weigh-ins are nine till eleven, you can have all the fighters weighing in at. Nine, not between nine and eleven on on this exact same scale. You don't have to change it. You don't have to alter it. You don't have to mess around with it at all. That's an electronic scale. And it just measures the weight. Fine. Why? Why are we not? Why, why is it? I, I I really do not understand why that's not the case now. But you know, it is what it is. I guess. But you know, yep. let's not take like I say. Let's not take anything away from Charles Oliver's performance. We obviously both picked him last week and. And you know, call us Mystic Max because we predict these <laughs> things. No, I I think we both predicted kind of a later in the fight uh, submissions, like kind of in the championship rounds later in the fight. This was a a banger of a fight. This is one of those fights that I'll put on just to watch over and over again. I think Charles Oliveira had two moments where he almost finished Justin Gaethje via knockout. Uh, Justin Gaethje came back and definitely dropped Charles Oliveira hard a couple of times. Uh, Charles Oliveira pulled guard, uh, tried one submission, switched, and got a different submission. We're only three minutes into this fight, and he got it wrapped up, and all that action has happened. What a fun fight. What was your thoughts on the fight? I know that you wrote uh, about some breakdowns before it. How did everything fit into it? It felt like Justin Gaethje just saw red and went for it. <laughs> yeah, you see, I, I again, I don't mean to be sound too big-headed, but everything that Gaethje was, was the, the, his keys to victory, he was, he was pretty much... You know, I, I wrote the, the keys to victory article is what you're alluding to. And, and, you know, he started off well. Charles Oliveira rocked Justin Gaethje in the first 10 seconds, it seemed. But Gaethje was able to, you know, one of my keys to victory for Gaethje was to slam the leg kick. Yeah, That was working. Charles Oliveira was getting his leg slammed by, by Justin Gaethje. Uh, try, <clears throat> you know, another another key to victory for Gaethje was to, to avoid the clinch. 
And that was clearly what Charles Oliveira was going for. You know, he, he landed two vicious knees and he looked to grab, he even looked to wrap up the guillotine or, or some sort of, you know, necktie of, uh, of Justin Gaethje early on. Because mm-hmm. Gaethje does have a tendency when he's in the clinch or when he's thrown, he sort of almost bends forward and looks down and to swing. Now, you bend forward against Charles Oliveira, he's going to snatch your neck. And, and you know, that's, that's pretty much what we saw in the first, I think that was maybe the first, within the first 20, 25 seconds mm-hmm. is... Charles was pulling constantly pulling on the back back of uh, Gaethje's head to bring his head down. He was landing pretty savage knees to the body as well. And, you know, Gaethje, it's not that he was he was tired by any fact because, you know, we were three minutes into the fight, but, you know, how many knees to the body can you take? How many uppercuts to the face can you take? Because Charles was pulling down on Gaethje's neck all the time, it was forcing Gaethje to, you know, pull back and then that was leaving him slightly more exposed and you know, I think, yes, like you say, Charles got dropped twice, but his willingness to go to the floor, it, it, it goes to, go to his back, makes me question how hurt he actually was, especially that second one where he did get dropped. He managed to throw the sort of teep kick, the push kick, and then, and then sort of just, it looked like someone had just sort of just smashed the back of his leg in and he sort of just sort of concertinaed onto the floor. You know, he was willing to go. Go, willing to go to his back and and appear maybe more hurt than he was, um, to, in order to work his BJJ and and you know it yeah. for me only Charles Oliver will know how hurt he was in those in those situations, but he did seem fairly willing to uh, to drop to his back before. And that's why Justin Justin Gaethje didn't follow him. He knew that he was thinking the same thing that you are. Yeah, for sure. And and you know even like you say Charles pulled guard at one point and. and he wasn't able, you know, he pretty much let Gaethje up. Gaethje was able to use no real technique. He was just pushed on the bicep and and, and 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 got himself back up to then create that distance. But Gaethje's got two, in my opinion, two huge holes in his game. He was overswinging. He, yeah. he got excited by, by hurting Charles Oliver and he was overswinging. There was that one um, one shot just before the, the, the finish where he overswung so hard that he, he, he lost his own balance. I mean, yeah. this is supposedly the top level of MMA and you've got a guy, you know, no disrespect to Justin Gaethje, do not get me wrong, he would put me to sleep. With that being said, you know, over, overswinging at this level, you know, with someone, I don't like to bring him into the conversation, but with someone like Connor, if you overswing like that, he's going to punish you. He's going to be just out of that range. You see, with Charles Oliver, he got all the way out of that range. He was never, he's not that great a counter striker as far as eluding. You know, he catches a lot on his arms and, and, and you know, on his elbows. But if someone like Conor McGregor faces Justin Gaethje next, and Gaethje swings like that and misses that wildly, McGregor's going to get just out of range to then come back into range and punish him. And that is kind of what we saw with the finish. You know, one of my, uh, one of the things I wrote about in my article is Justin Gaethje can't throw two long extended combinations because Charles will look to counter in, I thought he'd look to counter by taking him down. He actually just looks to counter by, by just throwing a straight right down, down, down the pipe and, you know, instantly working his BJJ. You know, he got the, he got the, uh, the hook on the leg. He got the, the un- under the arm, he got the the hook under the arm, and then he was just you, you know he's chaining his submissions. He's going from the what we looked like we were going, almost going to get a triangle from from the backside, and then Gaethje, you know, showing that second huge hole in his game by just looking to use Derek Lewis jiu-jitsu and just get up and 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 force <laughs> someone like Charles Oliveira, you're going to get your neck snatched. And I thought it was kind of kind of poetic in a way that. Gaethje was talking about all week, you know, Charles is a quitter, Charles is a quitter, and, and Gaethje was ultimately the one that tapped. Man, I, I he did go, he didn't go out. He did tap. Maybe that's fine. That choke looked really tight. I don't think there was any space on him, you know, pulling an arm down and trying to get out or anything like that. I, I think that was as tight as it gets. Uh, but yeah, that was a super fun fight. I love your breakdown. Your, your technical breakdowns are absolutely sound. That was that Thank was you. absolutely awesome. I don't think I have anything to add on that. Like we, that was that was a great breakdown. Um, yeah, those are some of those were my notes, and uh, so that's perfect. 
the lightweight minds think alike you see well yeah well i was thinking of like the yeah yeah yeah. a few of those of like pulling guard but he probably wasn't hurt and there's a few other things but man you you got way more than i did which is great that's why that's why you're the best in the business i mean that's that's the <laughs> thank you that's the, <laughs> the advantage of a three-minute fight you know i've watched a fight three or four times and you know I've, i'm p- still picking stuff up on the fourth time of watching it you know if you think I'm going to go back and watch the co-main event again, you're sadly mistaken. My notes on that are, are pretty sparse, but we'll go into that in a second. But I, something yeah. else I have written, you know, if, I don't know what will be next for Gaethje, but if it's Makachev or Dayush, he's, he's struggling again. You know, these guys have got elite ground games. You know, Makachev's got the elite Sambo background. Dayush has got a solid, solid BJJ base. And Justin Cagey doesn't, unfortunately, unless he can get it, you know, and unless he can get it done on the feet, he's struggling. And you know, we've seen in with Gaethje since since he picked up those two losses, he's he's been given I wouldn't say favourable matchups by any uh, stretch, but mm-hmm. they're matchups that sort of suit his style. You know, James Vick, stand-up fighter; Edson Barboza, stand-up fighter; Donald Cerrone has got a ground game, but predominantly a Muay Thai fighter. True. Tony Ferguson, great jiu-jitsu, stand-up fighter, really. And yeah. Michael Chandler, great wrestler, but we know he loves to stand up bang. There is the last five wins. There's not a wrestler in there. When he faced the wrestler Khabib, look what happened when he faced a wrestler or, or a jiu-jitsu specialist in Charles Oliveira, look what happened. If he faces someone like Islam Makachev next, for me that would be the, that would be Maybe not the next fight to make, but that would be a fight that I want to see because how does he handle, you know, Islam Makachev isn't the elite wrestler that, that Khabib is, but he's certainly a better wrestler than than we'd assume Tony Ferguson has shown thus far in his career. But let's let's talk about, so the, the top of the lightweight division is right now <clears throat> full of chaotic energy. There's a lot of chaos at the top. We don't entirely know what's going on. There's not really a, a champion, and there's not a clear number one contender. Islam, Makachev, and uh, Michael Chandler, and arguably Benil Dariush are all right there. What do you do with these three? Like, Islam is kind of the only guy, despite not having a really good top five victory. He's the only guy who hasn't had a loss in the last little while here. I mean, Benil Dariush is there. He is injured, and he's not that good of a fight. But Michael Chandler's right up there, too. What do you do with this division if you're the matchmaker? How do you see this playing out? Yeah, I was looking when I was writing my notes last night. I was looking down the division and thought, what could be next for Justin Gaethje? Well, we've seen him face Dustin Poirier, and I don't think that'll be the fight to make because Poirier and Gaethje, obviously, both coming off title losses, title fight losses, sorry, to, to the champion Charles Oliveira. I just don't mm-hmm. see them two clashing again because they're not... Yes, they're both huge names, but they've got probably more value in other fights. You know, a uh, uh, Nate Diaz fight for Dustin Poirier, for example. Yeah. You then go one down, Islam Makachev looks to be more in a title shot. I don't think he'll want to sit out until Gaethje's ready, then go through a camp and then face Justin Gaethje. Benil Dayush, like you said, he's he's injured at the moment. He had to pull out the Islam fight in, I think that was the beginning of April, maybe the beginning of March that they were scheduled to fight. But listening to the press conference yesterday, Dana's still interested in that fight between the two, Islam Makachev and Benil Dayush. Fine. We've just seen the Michael Chandler fight, and I don't think that's the fight to make next either. You know, in a, in, As good as a fight it was, I'm not really quite sure what that does for either man. You know, Yes, it was a phenomenal fight, but do you do that one next? Because you've got Michael Chandler, who's, you know, he, he's hot at the moment. And I don't really personally think that, you know, he... He's he's here for a good time, not a long time, Michael Chandler. You know, he is at the twilight of his career. And I don't think we start doing rematches unless it's for a title. RDA, obviously, we know that he's booked to fight for Zeev. Tony Ferguson, I don't want to see any anything to do with Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson again. And then you talk about, you know, Justin Gaethje's ranked joint, joint for some reason, joint top spot. They're both ranked number one in the division with Justin Poirier. But oh yeah, Dustin's up down... there too. Dustin and Connor are yelling from the sidelines, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, you know, you've got Gregor Gillespie, and then you've got Conor McGregor, eight and nine. Armin Sarukian and uh, Mateus Gamrot have obviously just booked to fight each other. Dan Hooker, Dan Hooker's not fighting Justin Gaethje. Brad Riddell's not fighting Justin Gaethje. Needs is Diego Ferreira. So <laughs> I think Gaethje takes a long time out now because he just needs 
as ridiculous as it sounds for someone that isn't the champion, he needs the division to sort itself out, like we saw with Henry Cejudo. You know, he took, what, two years away, a year and a half, two years away from the sport, has yeah. let the has let both the flyweight and bantamweight divisions kind of sort themselves out. You know, we've got established champions in each. We've got several contenders. And now Cejudo's coming back in. And Justin Gaethje needs, he needs, you know, a, a, a Rafael dos Anjos to, to beat a Rafael Fazeev and then cement himself as, you know, the number two guy in the division so that it's some new blood for Gaethje to face. And whether they do that Poirier fight again, I'm not so sure because Dustin's, you know, he's been out for a while now since facing Charles and he looks to be maybe going up to 170, wants the Nate Diaz fight. You yes. know, he Dustin's in the, unfortunately for Dustin, I think he's in the, the, the money business now rather than the, the belt business. And, uh, you know, rightfully so. But, you know, like I say, we, we haven't seen Dustin since the, the December last year. I can't see Justin Gaethje back any time before December this year, whether Dustin like would want to, you know, he fought three times last year, whether he'd want to to have a whole year out after fighting three times in, in 2021 is, I don't think, I don't think he will. Yeah. I, same as you. I, I mean, I don't, it's not entirely clear what to do with the top spot. I agree. I don't know if Islam really, has earned it. But let me ask you a question that we've never asked on the show before because we avoid this kind of stuff. What do you do with a guy like Conor McGregor? He's calling out the lightweight champion. He's calling out the welterweight champion. He's way too big for 145 at this point, I guess. I don't know. But what do you do with a guy like him who's been injured for a year? Apparently, he's ready to get back in there. What do you do with him? He's the biggest star right now in the sport, and he's probably arguably the biggest star in the sport's history. What do you, what do, you do with a guy like this? Yeah, I think there's no doubt that he's the biggest star in sports history. Whether he's the biggest star now, I'm not sure how much his stock even went down by losing those two to Dustin. I don't think, to be honest, they do. You know, is everyone still going to go crazy for a Conor McGregor fight week? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Irish, American, Canadian, English, Russian, even. You know, the Russians yeah. are going to tune in to watch McGregor lose. And that's what Floyd Mayweather said. You know, you don't have to like me. You're either going to tune in to watch me knock someone out or get knocked out. But as long as you tune in, I don't care, you know. And and with McGregor, what what's next for McGregor? Who knows, you know? Is it going to be Kamara Usman? Absolutely not. Let's let's, <laughs> no. let's be real here. You know, nobody wants to see that fight apart from Kamara Usman's accountant. You know, let's let's be honest. <laughs> you know, that's a payday for Kamara Usman. At the best. that's all that that's all that is really. And. Uh, for me, there's, there's there's three potential fights for McGregor. You either make the Nate okay. Diaz three fight at 165. I can see that. You make a, a Tony Ferguson fight. Oh, oh. But I'm not sure if I want to see. I want to see first round against Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson face Conor McGregor. Yes, and we will get to that as well. Tony looked all right. Or Michael Chandler at 165 or 170. Great, that'd be great. I think it's a, I think it's a bad fight for Connor, but we've seen in his past three or four fights, Michael Chandler, that he's there to be landed on. He's there to be dropped, Yep. but he's also there to be exciting. And, you know, like I say, like you say, we'll, we'll go on to, uh, let's do to it. Michael let's, Chandler. Jump in. let's do it. Let's jump in. We'll skip a fight and come back to it later. But yeah, Michael Chandler, get yeah. hit with a bunch of don't left. You have to come back to it if you don't want that. Fight. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we have to say a little bit on it, but you know, but totally, while we're on the lightweight division, it makes sense to skip skip back and then skip forward, yeah. Yeah, we'll do that for now. But yeah, Michael Chandler ate a ton of left hooks from Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson was landing well. He looked amped up. He looked happy to be there. He looked like he was landing well. And then Michael Chandler, he is growing into one of the most exciting fighters in the sport. The UFC is putting the hard push on him, and deserve, deservedly so. He is one of the biggest stars in the sport, despite only winning like one in the UFC. Now he's won two in the UFC, and this one by pretty brutal highlight reel knockout. This was this was hard to watch because I thought, oh man, Tony's really putting it together here. This is kind of coming together for the guy. Nope. What do you make of the matchup? What do you do with these guys? What do you think? Yeah, I agree. You know, with one fight in the UFC, uh, sorry, one win in the UFC entering this fight. Yeah. And yet we still were scrambling to see Chandler fight again. You know, this is one ex-Bellator star that has come over to the UFC that's really worked. You know, Ben Askren obviously 
did fine. Bellator come over and won. That didn't mm. really work. Will Brooks came over from Bellator. Again, did not really work. Michael Chandler coming over from Bellator has worked. He is money. You know, he's headlined a pay per view. Uh, he's he's been. I think he was a co-main event against Dan Hooker. He was, I think, even the third fight on the card when he fought Justin Gaethje. And that was, you know, for, sorry, no, totally. He, he opened. He opened the card. Uh, opened the main card when he fought Justin Gaethje because it was the, the Trevor Whitman. Um, Trevor Rookman trio at UFC 268. Right. And, oh, yeah. now, and now he's the third fight again on this card. If he's not in a five-round main event next time, out whoever he faces, whether it's McGregor, whether you know he's calling for Nate, he's calling for he's calling out everybody, and that's what he needs to do. He, because apart from McGregor, I feel that he is the A side going in. He puts on some of the best promos that we've seen. In, in in since since the McGregor days, you know, and yes, they are rehearsed, and but yeah. this is what needs to happen, you know. You don't need guys just to to come and try and ad lib when they're sort of in the mix of a fight. You you want people to like, you know. For me, <laughs> Michael Chandler is the 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 MVP of of of, of UFC two two seven two seven four. You know he. Yeah. After the rough, you know, you can't say anything on Tony Ferguson's form. He, he clearly, clearly won round one. He dropped Chandler. Yes, he got taken down, but he was piecing Chandler up from the bottom. He, he injured Chandler's eye. And, you know, if you watch the post-fight press conference, Chandler's eye looks looks rough. You know, it's all swollen, bloody, bruised. Yep. He was a constant threat on the feet before he obviously got taken down. And, you know, he didn't receive too much damage even when he was down there, Tony. You know, a couple of hard leg kicks from Chandler, but, you know, that comes with 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 fighting anybody in today's MMA is you're going to receive hard leg kicks, hard low kicks. He and he ended the round, you know, he patted Chandler on the back. He walked back to his corner with a huge smile on his face, and I was thinking, look, Tony Ferguson's won the first round. He's going to win, go out and win the second round. Then he's going to be given hell in the third round. <laughs> and then the second round happened. And if you look on UFC stats, I didn't quite realize second round total strikes thrown by Michael Chandler won. <laughs> oh, on no. one strike and that was a strike that absolutely sent sent Tony Ferguson to the shadow realm you know it. I mean I thought it looked like a high kick to, to when you know when you watch it in real time I didn't see the foot come up no it was fast it was he was lightning fast wasn't it and it yeah, for sure and you know I think it's not only that speed but it's the unpredictability of I, I've never seen Chandler even throw a high kick let alone throw a, a front kick like that no. and you know <laughs> front kick like that followed by three backflips and a great call out michael chandler <laughs> yes you know yes he got the uh the post fight bonus um you know dana called it the, one of the most vicious knockouts he's ever seen and to be honest it didn't didn't help Tony, the way that he, the, the way that he was knocked out, he went face down. He was stiff. They rolled him over. His eyes were open, but he was stiff, and it was, it was worrying for for a moment there, until we heard obviously on the broadcast that uh, that he was, he was, you know, he was up, and he and he did. He uh, he was stood there with Chandler, and we've seen a, a a post from Tony. Well, I read it this morning saying, you know, kind of essentially, you know, these things happen. Um, it was one of his better fights that he lost in recently. I know he's on a four-fight skid, but I feel like this one doesn't really speak about his current skills. Whereas the other three, I feel like, were very reflective. This one, he looked good. Am I he wrong? Dominated in his, especially his past two. You know, he had his moments against Justin Gaethje when he landed. You know, the first had moments, round yeah. and a half. You know, he, he landed the uppercut and knocked Gaethje down, or could have finished Gaethje if it had another minute or two against Chandler. He was ten nine. He was he was one nil up in in my opinion. Yep, and then he just gets front kicked to the face, which you know it is what it is. It, when you're down on your look, like Tony Ferguson is at the moment, what can, <laughs> what can you do? I just feel so so bad for Tony. What what's next for Tony? That Tony Ferguson in round one, I want to see fight again because he's not in any trouble, you know. And I I do have a feeling that he will fight again if the UF, if Dana and the UFC let him. Yeah, I think he will too. Yeah. 
But I want to see him against someone who hasn't got absolutely phenomenal knockout power. You know, he's ranked number seven now. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think he'll, you know, I don't think he'll drop down in the rankings because if you look below him, you know, Gregor Gillespie barely ever fights. Conor McGregor doesn't fight. Doesn't fight. Rafael Fazeev is booked to fight RDA, but you can't jump him up three spots to, 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 leapfrog Tony Ferguson and, and you know Tony lost to a guy that's ranked above him so it doesn't really do much for his rankings I'm really not sure where where Tony goes goes from here uh, Brad Riddell but he's got knockout power I want to say Diego Ferreira just because he's a little bit more of a ground uh, focused yeah. fighter and he's not going to just absolutely pummel you brutally as as we've seen with Ferguson. I think he does stay at lightweight. I think he stays in the UFC and he stays active. Maybe takes a year off. But yeah, Diego Ferreira or someone in that ilk. Just so That's we can exactly get him. who I was looking at. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, he hasn't got that one punch knockout power like Chandler and Gaethje and... Yes, he's good on the ground, but he's not got that kind of mauling all in style like a say a, a Makachev or a Khabib yeah it's it, that fight would remind me quite a lot of the Robbie Lawler Brian Barberena fight which is going to be a barn burner you know we, we know that's booked for I think it's international fight week that one but that's going to be a banger or a sad <laughs> exactly but these are two guys that aren't going to be champion anytime you know obviously we've got a former champion but they're, they're two guys that are they're not going to, they're not in title contention, but they'll come and they'll they'll put it all on the line. And, and Tony Ferguson versus Diego Ferreira. Diego Ferreira at one point was looking like he could could even make a run at the belt. Yeah. But, you know, one thing led to another and he, he never quite he never quite made it to that. He never quite stepped over that sort of line into uh into title contention. But you know, I think that for me, that's the fight to make because it's the the fight of least resistance for Tony Ferguson, in a way. And, you know, we, we're not in the business of uh, of just giving people easy fights, but when you've got someone like Tony Ferguson who's, who's had his problems outside of the octagon yes. and now he's having his problems inside the octagon, you just want what's best for the guy, really. And like I say, you can't say anything about Tony Ferguson's fighting form because in that first round, he was, he was winning the first, I don't know officially what time the... You know, he was winning the first five minutes and, and 16 seconds until that front kick landed. He was. And he was um, looking good doing it, too. For sure. And, you know, respect to Michael Chandler, he could have easily followed up with shots on, on Tony Ferguson. But he, he knew. He, he's he's experienced enough now, you know, to to realise that, you know, that these shots aren't... Any extra shot was would just have been, been unnecessary. And, you know, respect to Michael Chandler for that because that could have done Tony some... some pretty catastrophic damage if he was already confirmed to be absolutely out and then receives you know several shots but yeah respect to michael Chandler, respect to tony ferguson you know he takes made no excuses and these things happen i've never seen like i say i've never seen michael Chandler throw even a high kick and he said i don't know if it was in his in his post-fight octagon interview or in the uh in the post-fight press conference but he said, yeah, it is something we looked at. Tony just hold his arms quite wide. It's just, you know, phenomenal game planning by uh, by Chandler and, and Henry Hooft. And I'm surprised that it worked because he not only... I think he doesn't throw head kicks because I always imagined that he was a little bit too short to do that at lightweight. Like, his hips are way lower than everybody else's sure. in the division. And this one landed fine and it knocked him out. Clearly, there's a lot of power. But that's a weird thing that he said with the way that Tony Ferguson stands. Connor said the same thing. He said that Tony's frame isn't good for counter-striking. He leaves himself way too open. And that's why, like, Justin Gaethje absolutely pummeled him and stuff like that. But uh, but Tony's never been an orthodox by-the-book striker. He's always been quite odd. And it's worked for him in the past. But in the past, he's also got away with being very tough, being, like, being able to walk through a lot of hard punches. And I don't think he's there anymore. He's lost, he's lost that toughness. He's lost his chin at this point. And yeah, for sure. And that brings me back to the, to the main event. You know, yeah. we've seen Justin Gaethje get hit with with far heavier shots than what I think Charles Oliveira dropped him with. In my opinion, you know, Charles didn't look like he hit him with too too heavier. You know, yeah. that straight was. Don't get me wrong; it would have put ninety percent of lightweights on their backside. But but Justin Gaethje, even in his last fight against Chandler, I think Chandler mm-hmm. hit him with far more heavier shots. How much did that Chandler fight take out of Gaethje? Really, really? How much did it, you know? There's only so many times that you can get landed flush on the chin and just carry on walking forward and carry on walking forward. 
and maybe we're seeing Gaethje's exciting style catch up with him. And, and you know, the same with Ferguson. Maybe we're seeing Ferguson's exciting style catch up with him. That war with Lando Vanata, who, you know, nobody really expected Lando to, to be able to, to land on Justin Gaethje because he was coming on a short note. Uh, sorry, on Tony Ferguson because he was coming in on a short notice. You know, Anthony Pettis had him rocking and rolling. Edson Barboza, yeah. you know. Kevin, even Kevin Lee took him down, slammed him down, and, and landed some pretty savage ground and pound. And you know, are are we just seeing just uh, Tony Ferguson's exciting style and Justin Gaethje's exciting style catch up with them? I think possibly we are. Yeah, but I think you know, so too. And you know, going into the co-main event now, are we are we seeing? <laughs> Here we go. We're getting what into are, it. What are we seeing? Absolutely Two point six. Two point six strikes per minute. Rose Namajunas and Carla Esparza. Go ahead. What do you think? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I was listening to Morning Combat, Luke Thomas and, and, and Brian Campbell earlier on in the week, and they were saying, "Look, no disrespect to Carla Esparza, don't see her her, her way to, to victory." And, and we said it on this podcast last week. We're picking Rose because Rose has more ways to win. Yeah. I don't see that Carla Esparza wins this fight on the feet, and when it goes to the ground. She 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 she's solid getting it to the ground, but she she hasn't you know Rose has got really good BJJ. Now, I was ready to give her a complete public service announcement. Apology to Carlo Esparza if she would have won this fight. <laughs> I am not giving a public service announcement to anybody. I'm apologising to everyone that we said make sure you tune in for this co-main event because my that no word of a lie is the worst fight I've ever seen, especially at this high level. You know you get and you know a lot of people. The first round, I can forgive. I can forgive the first round because nerves, senior, you know, kind of eking each other out. We saw it Woodley and and uh, Thompson too after sure. they had that barn burner in New York. They 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 didn't do it. It was a ten ten in the first round. The second, third, fourth, and half of the fifth round, I I cannot. I, can't, I just, I, I, I'm just confused. It's the worst fight I've ever seen. You know, at least with Joel Romero and Izzy and Francis Ngannou and, and Derek Lewis, they've got that one hitter quit and knockout power. Yes. Especially with Ngannou Lewis, it was a three round, so there wasn't, you know, yes, it was 15 minutes of them two looking at each other, but it was three rounds. It was a non-title fight. True. And I put something on my Instagram. Carla Esparza landed 30 total strikes over 25 minutes. Yeah. So that means in, uh, if you know, if you break that down, there was only five minutes across the whole fight where she landed more than one strike. <laughs> and then you compare that to Charles Oliveira outlanded Carla Esparza in the three minutes, 22 seconds that he was competing <laughs> What a load of crap. <laughs> I, just, I, I just cannot understand. You know, we've seen Rose complaining. At, you know, she was surprised that she didn't win. She was complaining at the uh, at the post-fight press conference saying that she thought she won because she landed the more strikes and, and she, she took Carla down in the last round. As a defending champion who has a clear advantage on the feet, she needs to go and, yes, she needs to beat the champion to become the champion, but she needs to go out there and defend her belt. And she didn't. Yeah. She both of the ladies there were just defending fresh air. You know, she landed, <laughs> Rose landed seven strikes in the first 10 minutes. And, yeah. you know, if, and, you know, it's a shame because we've seen her now come out on, on social media saying, oh, I feel like a shitty person. And everyone's, you know, backing her and saying, Oh, you know, you're not, you're a great fighter. You're the best to ever do it. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, nobody wants to see Rose say, oh, I'm a shitty person, but that has nothing to do, you know, everyone that loses a fight probably feels like shit. But when you go out there and put everything on the line, I can guarantee you if Rose went out there, put everything on the line, had a fight of the year contender, or even fight of, even fight of the night contender, yeah. you know, Norma DeMont versus Macy Chearson wasn't the best fight on the card. And that was a, the, the, the second best women's fight on the card, in my opinion, you know, <laughs> you are a 115 pound strawweight champion of the world who's coming off multiple rematches. This is another <laughs> rematch for you. 
And I can guarantee you, Rose would not have felt so bad if she went out there, put it all on the line, and was just outclassed by Carlo Esparza. But because she went out there and just didn't do anything, nothing happened. Yeah, it, you know, you're gonna feel like shit because people are gonna get on at you and say, "Look, at the end of the day, you're 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 the champion. You've got a clear advantage on the feet. You've gone to war with with Joanna Junjacek over 25 minutes. You've gone to war with Weili Zhang over 25 minutes. You've knocked both women out." Yep. You've got a win and a loss against Jessica Andrade. And then you go out there against Carlo Esparza, who on the feet, unfortunately for Carlo, no disrespect to the champ, is pretty goddamn awful on the feet. She, she's <laughs> if she's a lot smaller than Rose as well. So Rose has got a clear, not only has she got advantages in skill, she's got height and reach, reach on Carla. And Rose just looked petrified to be taken down by Esparza. Yeah. And, you know, the question I want to ask you is, if you're Trevor Whitman, you're listening to Pat Barry say this is everything we expected. You know, you're yeah. doing great. If you're Trevor Whitman, what what are you thinking there? I I I, I struggled with that too because uh, you brought up the Romero fight and the uh, the Lewis Ngannou fight. And what made those fights different than this one is that all four fighters in those fights knew that they were in a garbage fight. It seemed like Rose and Carla didn't know that they were in a really crappy fight until like the post fight press conferences when they were told someone whispered it to them like that was trash <laughs> but <laughs> i don't know entirely because trevor whitman's a consummate professional he and i know publicly he's always going to support public or pat pat barry and say like you know he's supportive he says the right things to keep her amped up but i at a certain point you have to say like rose you need to step on the gas here you need to put something significant going on here because you're just throwing feints you're just throwing air I don't know what you're seeing in this fight, but nothing's happening, right? Like you got to say, Pat, shut the hell up. And Pat's Pat must have known. He's he was like a, a brawl. He was a fairly technical kickboxing fighter who was extremely aggressive. He must have known that nothing was happening in this fight. I mean, uh, exactly. And just going, you know, Pat Barry had only 15 MMA fights, but they were fun. They were all fun. You know, 13 <laughs> of those were in the UFC. Yeah. You've got victory. You got you know he stood across from Crocop, Joe Beltron, Chet Congo, Stefan Struve, right. Sean fun, Jordan. Right? Yeah, you know, he's got you know in his third UFC fight, he got knockout of the night and fight of the night. He's got fight of the night, and he's got another knockout. So he's got you know four post-fight bonuses. He's seen Rose go to the well against against Wiley like Zhang the second yeah. time round and. Not so much Joanna the second time around because that was more of a point fighting. Mm. But he's got to have seen. How can he not see? And, you know, I, I, I think it was in the at the end of the third round or maybe the fourth round, he was like, look, look, the crowd are booing because she's not doing anything. The crowd are booing because uh... none of you are doing anything. <laughs> if you, you could say that, you know, when Max Holloway fought, fought Calvin Qatar, which, you know, is is one of our favorite fights to, to, to always refer back to. Yes. Calvin Qatar wasn't doing anything. <laughs> that That's was... when you can say, yeah, the crowd's ruined because, because he's not doing anything. Yeah, no, but Max Holloway was throwing 90 strikes a second. That's that's a difference. The crowd is not booing because one person isn't doing anything. The crowd is booing because you're both stood there watching yeah. each other. Yeah. Not Carla wasn't even throwing feints. No. She was just she was just but the thing is, she was also biting quite heavy on the feints of Namajunas. So the first yeah. round, I can forgive, like I say. The second round, the second round is where you really need to start implementing those traps that you set up in the first round. Absolutely, you made a miss. Punch them. Why? Exactly. For sure. And you know, every time that Carla took Rose down, Rose pretty much popped straight back up to her feet. There was no, you know, across the entire fight, Carla had twenty-two seconds control time, two of eleven takedowns. Yeah. Why in the third, fourth, and fifth round, you know, the first round, sorry, the second and third round, uh, Carla shot for four takedowns and didn't land a single one. So going into the fourth round, Rose needs to take more risks because she knows that she can defend. She's defended the first four takedowns that Carla's father's has thrown at her. Risk it a little bit, you know. And th there are shots against the wrestler that you can throw that don't leave you open to the counter. The teep kick, for example is not the, the sort of the roundhouse kick where you're bringing it around into your opponent's body where they can latch onto that leg if they do catch it 
or, or the low kick where they can snatch your leg. The teep kick comes straight up the middle and it's a lot more difficult for a wrestler to both defend that and try and counter it at the same time by grabbing the leg, especially when these are 115-pound fighters. Yeah, They're the fastest, yeah. in theory, the fastest fighters on the roster. Throw a quick teep kick, throw a quick leg kick, you know, throw a jab out there. The chances of Rose being countered you know, she could have thrown a jab and even dropped her, <laughs> dropped her rear hand. You know, if yeah. she throws a jab with the left, drop your right hand, so you're there to, to, to you know, dig the underhook if Carla, Carla goes for the shot. And I thought it was just a, I mean, I don't I know, know if you noticed, I wasn't a big fan of the fight. No, one of, exactly. You know, one of the weirdest things about the fight was that Rose got a post-fight thirty thousand yeah. um, Bitcoin bonus from the fans. Already cancel this, cancel this program. It's not working. <laughs> it sucks. I, I mean, Michael Chandler got one. I think Charles Oliveira got the other. But fair. Rose Namunas got one for losing one of the worst fights I've ever seen. You know, it, that that is what it, that's a that's a debate for another day. That's a that's an article opportunity for somebody to write and just go off on. But you know, it's nothing against her. I don't want to see Rose in a in a title shot anytime soon again, because yeah. you know. It's a shockingly bad fight, but it opens up the division quite nicely, in my opinion. You know, we've now got we've now got Carlos as champion, who's never fought Wiley Zhang. She fought Marina Rodriguez, but that was a close split decision, and Marina's looked phenomenal since then. Mm-hmm. She never fought Mackenzie Dern. Her game is to take the fight to the ground, whereas Mackenzie Dern's game is to is to dominate on the ground. Mm-hmm. She never fought Jessica Andrade. She's already got a loss on her record in the title against Joanna Jacek, who returns at the next pay-per-view. She dominated Yang Xiaonan. She never fought Nina Ansarov. I don't think she fought Tisha Torres. Mm-hmm. New blood for once at uh, 150. Because, you know, Rose, she's got two fights against Wiley Zhang, two yep. fights against Carlo Esparza, two fights against Jessica Andrade. Correct. Two fights against the returning Joanna Jacek. Yep. It was stale. That division was stale. Marina Rodriguez could have been the next contender. And yet that still wouldn't have interested me as much as, you know, ironically, a Marina Rodriguez versus uh, Carla Esparza fight interests me a lot more than a, a Rose Namajunas fight. And for Rose, yeah. does she fight Mackenzie Dern next? Probably not. Does she fight Marina Rodriguez next? Probably not. I think she probably has a main event against the loser of Zhang Wiley and Yanni and Jacek. Or she steps away from the sport for a good year, year and a half. I can see that happening as well. I wouldn't. You know, that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest because, you know, at the end of the day, that is a shocking performance. And yes, I don't want to, you know, heap more more sort of shit at her table that, you know, she does feel like a, a shitty human being, like she said. But she either needs to bounce. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. She could fight tomorrow. She took no damage in that fight. You know, <laughs> she had a bit of a swollen eye and she gave out no damage in that fight either. Mm-hmm. Joe Rogan even made a comment to Carlos Esparza who's getting married next week, you know, looking for you, your face is absolutely as, you know, as you walked in. Those ladies could have fought like that for two hours and never got fatigued. <laughs> there was not a, if, if you look at Justin Gaethje after three and a half minutes of fighting, he looked tired, he was sweating, <laughs> you know, his hair was all over the place because he was so hot and warm. These two ladies look like they just walked into the octagon. And, and, you know, I almost had to double take to say, look, Joe Rogan, what are you doing interviewing them before they even fight? Carla <laughs> Plaza did not look like she'd been in a fight for 25 minutes. No. But, you know, the good, like I say, the, the best thing to come out of that fight is that it opens up the division. Yeah. The worst the div- thing to come out of that fight is the fight itself. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Rose is probably going to sit out for a while because that's the way UFC tends to do things. They punish you by not giving you a fight. Uh, the title's quite clear. The winner of Zhang and uh, Ioana. Winner of that is clearly next. And that's kind of fresh. It's been a few years since uh, Ioana has fought Carla. If Zhang wins, that's also fresh for Carla. It's a very easy fight to make now. But let, well, let's move forward. What else did you see on the card that you liked? What else do you want to call yeah, out? Yeah, you know, I've got two, two uh, sort of... The best of the rest, as it were, Lupi Godinez, absolutely phenomenal performance. Um, you know, she came, she came into the fight <laughs> physically. Kana Soli looked the much better fighter as far as just her physique is phenomenal. She's mm-hmm. big, she's stacked, she's muscular. 
and Luffy did not care. You know, eight takedowns, you know, 13 and a half minutes of control time. And that sounds, on the face of it, that sounds like a boring fight. You know, oh, 13 and a half minutes of, of one lady just sort of lying on top of the other. She was searching for submissions for the entire fight. You know, she was landing hard ground pound. When they stood up, Luffy Godinez rocked her. Mm-hmm. Two 30-26s and a 30-27. I did, do not do uh, Godinez justice. She dominated that fight you know she's she's on a two-fight winning streak at the moment she's just you know i think i think she i think she's uh, there's a real chance that we see lupi godinez now kick on from being that you know she holds the record for for shortest time between three fights uh in the ufc mm-hmm. i think she really kicks on now and and I wouldn't be surprised to see it. You know, I was looking down the, the topology rankings. I wouldn't be surprised to see her face a, a ranked girl next in, in the strawweight division. Because you've yeah, got, absolutely. you know, she's, uh, as per topology, she's ranked 15. The, with that being said, the ladies above her, I think is a big step up in competition. The, you know, there's, there's the only lady in and around her, uh, her sort of ranking without a fight is Amanda Limosh who fought a couple of weeks ago and, and was badly beaten, but make that fight, you know, if she, she's at a difficult position, Lupi uh, Godinez, who, where no one's going to want to fight her because she's not ranked unless she gets a ranking next to her name this morning, you know, they haven't come out yet, mm. but she's not ranked. And yet she's, dangerous there's not a lot of upside to facing it but there's a hell of a lot of downside because she is so good um you know it it is difficult we've got girls ranked in the top 15 who've got one win in the ufc which is what it is but you know let's not let's not take anything away from uh from godinez who put on without a doubt the performance of of her career yeah and you know, luckily for her, there's a lot of girls that have got fights booked within in, a, in and around the next few next few weeks. You know, you got Angela Hill and Janda Rover booked. I think this week, uh, yeah, this weekend. You know, uh, Amanda Hebas is obviously fighting up at up at 125 pounds, but she's fighting this weekend as well. Then you've got Nina Nunes and Cynthia Carvia at the beginning of July. You've got Jessica Penne, who she's already fought. Obviously, she's fighting in the middle of July. You've got Pollyanna Viana, who's fighting, you know, a week after next. So you've got a lot of girls in and around uh, Godinez's ranking who are fighting soon. And I think I think she needs to kick on and really, you know, she, she's still young in the game. She's, she's what, 28. And we haven't seen wrestling like that in, in the strawweight division since, since Tatiana Suarez, in my opinion. And it's an exciting prospect for sure. No, that's. I think it's. Yeah, I agree with you. She's. She's always kind of been one of those people that we've had our eye on. I think she took a fight too quickly and, and then ended up losing. But for the most part, she has looked like a very promising future contender. I think. I think that's very clear to say. Um, there's nothing else for me on this card. Do you want to move no, forward? The Brandon Royval fight was fun, but that was just like two flies around the octagon, just searching for submissions. And I thought, you know. The way that Royval wrapped up that did it did it finish in a guillotine in the end? I know he had he had a guillotine and he had a he had a, a sort guillotine, of yeah. Peruvian yeah. necktie at one point. I think it was all it was some I know it was some sort of choke, but uh, you know it, they transitioned from one choke to the other to the other to the other. Um, Fun little yeah. time. Elsewhere, Tracy Cortez. If she wasn't with, I hate to say it, but if she was she's going to be exposed at flyweight when yeah. she. Uh, when she really gets to the to the better better of the division, and they were playing too much for me. They were playing too much into the fact that her and Brian Ortega are in a relationship. Nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> I, did, I didn't watch the commentary. What was why? Why? Who cares? Saying, <laughs> oh, you know, her boyfriend Brian Ortega's in the corner, and on UFC Instagram, it was oh, Brian Ortega's the best photographer, and then on the UFC Instagram later on, it was a picture, a video of them hugging, and then the broadcast cut to her. After the, after her fight, sat on his lap and watching the fights. It's just like, 
I was going to say, if you wouldn't do this to Brock Lesnar, and then I remember that he married Sable, the WWE, and I was like, oh, yeah, they would definitely do that with Brock Lesnar. So, you know, equal opportunities all over. I just don't, you know, I just... I I wish it was Brock and Sable. I'd be all over that. (laughs) Show me more Brock and Sable. Well, you know, last last week or the week before last, we had Gina Mazzani in there who's engaged to to Melia. We didn't, you know, unless you follow them on Instagram, you wouldn't know that. I, I, I don't want to see that. It doesn't matter who her coaches are. You know, there's I know. Sam Alvia has his wife in the corner. You don't see them hugging and kissing at every eventuality. And yeah, yeah for me, Tracy Cortez, she's solid. You know, she's telling the telling her own. I think she's four and zero in the UFC. But it hasn't, you know, even a wicker. You just click on a Wikipedia personal life. Cortez is in a romantic relationship with fellow UFC Brian Ortega. Who cares? <laughs> Thank you. Who gives a shit? But it's just, you know, I think Cortez is going to be exposed. I think some of her takedowns were really interesting where she didn't want to get her neck caught in any sort of guillotines or chokes. So she did take the fight down and was quite high up on her opponent, almost chest to chest, mm-hmm. in order to avoid getting wrapped up in something. But uh, yeah. I wouldn't say that was a highlight. For me, the highlights are, are Godinez and, and, and that crazy Roy Val finish, which was just a load of fun, to be honest. Well, let's uh, let's move forward into what's upcoming this week, if you're all set to go, because we got some dumb stuff going on. I don't think we need to cover Bellator, because there, was, there wasn't anything surprising or out of the ordinary on Bellator. I think that was kind of what we all expected, yeah? Is that so, yeah, that and the PFL, you know, Kayla Harrison going to Kayla. The only surprise was that she didn't get a finish, and I think she was pretty pissed off with herself that she didn't get a finish. Oh, we missed uh, the Canelo fight. Hey, if you've got time, let's do the Canelo yeah. and B-ball fight because I, I can't believe that we that we skipped over it for this long. That was maybe the biggest news to come out of the weekend. Hey, talk, exactly, look, yeah. Tell us about this. We kind of ran out of time on last week's show to to preview it in any great depth, but I, you know, we we knew that Bivol didn't have you know phenomenal one punch knockout power. But he's gone to decision, I think, in the past his past seven fights. We and I underestimated Bivol, and. I'd argue that the reason I underestimate, you know, we know that him, Bivol and Baterviev mm-hmm. are the two best light heavyweights on the planet. But the reason I think we underestimated Bivol and under, didn't give too much attention to this fight is because there's a complete lack of hype around this fight, especially especially for a Canelo fight. And I think that's maybe coming off the back of Taylor Serrano being so historic the week before. True. The zone had to, and Matchroom had to put all of their eggs then in the Canelo basket and you've only got a week to hyper Canelo fight against Bivol who isn't a great you know isn't a big speaker he isn't a, a phenomenal standout name I haven't watched the, I've watched the fight I haven't watched it in any great detail but Canelo did look flat and it appeared to me like Bivol didn't really respect Canelo you know he was unloading on Canelo on the there was I think it was the sixth or seventh round he was unloading on Canelo on the on the ropes yeah. He was landing, but then Canelo was sort of calling him on. And Bivol was like, no, I know, I know what your game is here. I'm just going to stand my own guy. And he's like, no, you come to me. And they were, and he was landing at ease on Canelo. And Canelo was landing on Bivol, but I think the, the reach had a, a bit of a factor. And he, cause he was landing a lot of shots on the arms and on the gloves of Bivol. And yeah. The right man won. I'm surprised how close it was because the scorecards were a joke. I think the official scorecards had all four of the first rounds going to Canelo. I thought Bivol won the first. There's an argument that he won the second and uh, won the third. And it's also a joke. There's a rematch clause. He, Canelo's a challenger going into that fight, and he's got a rematch clause against Bivol. Now, I can understand it the other way around. If Bivol wanted to put a rematch clause in, because that's often the case when you've got a champion, they have the rematch clause. But Canelo's got the rematch clause as a challenger. That's probably the fight that he's going to take because. But no one's interested. We saw it. Like we saw the conclusion. I don't, I don't see how can... Canelo, and even if he does beat him by decision now, is there a, is there a shot to see a third fight between the two? No, not it's not in my opinion. You know, it was it was a good fight. There wasn't any great. The best, the biggest highlight was was the scorecards. With Bivol actually getting the victory, that was the biggest sort of standout moment. Right. But I just don't really see why there was a rematch clause. But, you know, it is what it is. I imagine the rematch will be done at the back end of the year. But it, Bivol is just, he's still going to be too big. He's still going to be too long. And he's still going to be, he, he outboxed Canelo, which is something that we didn't 
really expect going into the fight. And I think that's the most surprising thing about it. That he did, he was able to outbox Canelo with ease. You know, he never looked in trouble. Yes, he did lose rounds, but he didn't look in trouble at any point against Canelo. And I think, yeah, it's probably just a step too far for for Alvarez to have stepped up in weight to face someone like Bivol, who was seen as the if he if that Canelo would have fought Baturbiev, he would have been finished. I think he saw Bivol as the easier of the two, and he was going to pick up Bivol's belt, go back down to fight Golovkin, and then go back up to fight Baturbiev. And now there's a massive spanner in the works. I think I, I agree. It's, it's tough to make the argument to, for the rematch. And I think that would damage Canelo's legacy more losing a second time. Because if you lose once to this guy, you can make the argument of like, oh, I got sized on. It is what it is. I took a risk in a higher weight class. We're just going to leave bygones. You know, we're just going to let, let that go. Losing a second time. Uh, now that kind of gets into legacy territory. I, I don't think it's the right decision for him to try a second time around. Am I wrong here? No, for sure. I completely agree. And, you know, like, like you say, it's, Oh yeah, the first time maybe I did underestimate quite how big he is, quite how long you know McGregor taking on Diaz. Yeah, sure. I underestimated quite how big he is, but it's a legacy fight. I'm taking on all comers. Then the second fight happens. And now we need to see a third fight. That's a trilogy to me that makes sense because you know the the, the second fight he prepared for, but you know he didn't clearly win that fight. And if if there's any debate here on whether Canelo wins the second fight. You know, if it does go to the scorecards, it's close. It's a split. I don't think there's a to me. There's just not a huge call to see a, a second fight. No. But but rematches are rematches. Hopefully, Bivol will enter that fight at the A side now. I think, I think I think I think he absolutely will because he dominated the fight. He clearly won the fight. He showed he's the better boxer. Uh, coming up this week, we got some weird stuff like Floyd Mayweather and Anderson Silva fighting in the skies of Dubai, they're calling it. There's also a... helipad or something, isn't it? That, it, that can't be. Out. There's out. no way. It's going to be in some rec room in the basement or something like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think the less said about that, the better. And the breakdown next week will be Floyd Mayweather had a little bit of a jog around with some guy that no one's <laughs> ever heard of and Anderson Silva probably gets another knockout of some guy that not many people have heard of. It's a good fight for Anderson Silva and it's a good fight for Floyd Mayweather and that's, I mean, we know what's going on here. This is, they had some money and they they earned some money for doing this fight, but it's not an important fight to anyone's legacy. It's not going to change rankings. Nothing's going to happen, but Anderson Silva and Floyd are going to walk away millionaires from this, from this little trip. And that's yeah, fine. For sure. And the best thing that can happen out of this weekend is Anderson Silva calls out Jake Paul. That's, the, that's the best thing that can happen. But I also kind of hope that he doesn't because that then brings Anderson Silva and Jake Paul into the same conversation. Uh, it's man, it's happening. It is too late. It is happening. Uh, UFC. Uh, there's also a Blahovich Bla- versus Rockich. Or was this was this cancelled due to injury, or is that still on? Let no, just... this is what I was just about to say. I'm I'm almost not excited for this fight because it's it's been. I think it's been. Uh, it's been rescheduled it's a few been times. Rescheduled right? about three or four times, and uh. it's just yeah. It's I mean it's a good fight. I'm excited. You know, Blahovich coming off the title fight last Rakich on on quite a decent run, but. Yeah, it's been rescheduled about three or four times, I believe. And then the card itself, it's not a bad card, but it's not just bad, it's, no. it's, it's strange. You know, Ryan Spann, Ayan Kutalaba, Caitlin Chikagian welcoming Amanda Hibas to the uh, flyweight division. Jake Hadley finally making his debut. Then you've got Nick Maximov on the card, who was the co-main event on a Strong Strickland card. And now, as per topology, is opening up the entire card. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't get it. I just don't get it, but... It's not yeah. bad. It's not a stay up for it, but it's not a bad. One. Definitely not. It's it's a catch it. Where where we? Yeah, we're in Las Vegas, so it's a catch it in the morning on a replay, which isn't the worst thing in the world, I guess. But you know, Andrea Lee, I think I'm excited to see Andrea Lee because she she looked really good in her last two fights, and between Andrea Lee and Caitlin Chikagian, we could be seeing the next flyweight contender or the next you know lamb to the slaughter, as it were, for yeah. uh, for Shevchenko. I think you might be right about that. So there's a few, there's title, impl- there's definitely title implications on this card. It's weird how like no one's excited for this card and we're saying clearly there's title implications for more than one title at this event and everyone goes like, yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. Like, yeah, I'm just not that excited for this one. Honestly, yeah, exactly. I'll, I mean, you know, I'll we could be seeing Rakic 
Rakic yeah. is the next title contender is more more than likely if he wins, but <laughs> yeah, Meh. it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> we've obviously got Bellator London as well. It's a fairly decent card. It's disappointing in a way that obviously we're not getting MVP versus Amosov. Um, Amosov no. obviously has got a little bit more um, going on, should we say, the Ukrainian. But MVP, <laughs> seeing if he can finally make that transition from nearly there to, to there as, as, as a Bellator fighter. Lyoto Machit is fighting Fabian Edward, Edwards. Uh, Watanabe versus Denise Kehol, uh, Keholtz, Keholtz. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's a good that's one a, right there. I think that's probably the next uh, contender for this guy Moosh's title. Paul Daly's last ever fight. Yep. You know, he's retiring with a record of 43-18-2. He's set to retire after this one. That is I... some... Some record, man, and he took some other fights on the side. You know what's funny? I this has so little buzz, and it's a good fight card. This has so little buzz that I think I would have gone to it if, sure, I, yeah. if I was like slightly aware. But I this is I only started looking at this two days ago, and I thought, oh, it's too late to go at this point. But I would have gone to this one. This was a pretty good one, yeah. Yeah, you know, you've got listed throughout the card. You've got a lot of European talent. You've got a, I mean. You've got a lady that's four, four and one opening up the thing. But you know, you got Lee Chadwick who's had millions of fights. Charlie Ward, obviously a friend of, of McGregor, and that's that's the guy that sort of jumped into the uh, when McGregor jumped into the ring and had his uh, altercation with Mark Goddard. You got Tim Wilde who's headlined Bellator before, Kate Jackson, who's a pioneer of British female MMA. Yeah. UFC vet Oliver Aimkamp, you know, you've got Daniel Welsh. And Paul Daly's last ever fight. You've got Leo Leo Tavachida's on the card, you know. Might be his but, last fight. We never know. Well, you, you almost hope so in a way. Um, yes. And then we've got a uh is this the first I don't know if it's the first or maybe you know, it's the first Invicta card for for a while. We haven't seen yeah. too much Invicta, but uh that'll be on I'm assuming that'll be on UFC Fight Pass. So yeah, definitely check that out because it's uh you know it's the it's the third card of the of the year. But it's the first since March, and yeah, definitely check that out because it's uh they always put on a they always put on a good show, uh, Invictus, and that yeah, like I say, that'll be on Fight Pass, so be sure to check that out. Absolutely, a lot of weekend of fights coming up. I don't have anything else. My name is Tim Wheat with MMA Sucker. Joined as always by Fraser Crumb to MMA Sucker. Fraser, what else have we we got to say this week? Yeah, I think that's uh, I think we pretty much covered it all. Like I said, a busy weekend, and we've got bits and bobs <clears> this weekend, but luckily it's not so busy, so we can. Uh, Take it easy a little bit this weekend and hope that we don't get any more fights like that coming in event anytime soon. Absolutely. Fraser, appreciate your time. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.